We're doing a series here, four parts, takes us to the end of the summer. On uh, The title is Why. Why do we do what we do here at King's Chapel? Some of the things we do. We're only doing a four-part series. I suppose we could do this for months. Um, last week, we looked at ministry of the Word and membership in the family. Why does the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, take such a prominent place here at King's Chapel as we gather together on Sunday morning? You see verses up on the screen between songs when there's a, there's a, a refrain or a time of, 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 of not singing. It's just playing, so we're, we're, we're singing, we're, we're, we're thinking, we're reading Scripture. Why does it take a prominent? We did that last week. And why do we have an encouraged membership in the church? So it's online. You can look, watch the video, download the, download the podcast, and there's a CDs in the back. This week, we're looking at discipleship. We're looking at discipleship that is both monastic and missional. We call it monastic and missional. It's just another way of saying that the people of God, the church, should both gather together and scatter into the world. If you are here today and you're a Christian, then you're saying that you're a follower of Christ. That's what Christians are, followers of Christ. You've turned from your sin. You stop trying to justify yourself from being your own Lord, your own Savior, and you have placed your faith, your reliance, your trust upon the risen Lord Jesus Christ. As a disciple, you were called into communion through the gospel, through the good news of Christ, At the same time, you were called out to proclaim the gospel. When God calls us in, he also sends us out. That's what our sermon's about this week. Next week, we're going to look at singing. Pastor Ricky, the music pastor, is going to talk about singing in the church. What kind of songs do we sing? Why do we sing? And things of that nature. And then, September 10th, when we finish this series, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper, different ideas of ways in which, historically, we've looked at the Lord's Supper, and why we practice what we do, believer's baptism. There's actually a tank under here, and we are going to have some baptism. If you're a follower of Christ, you've never been baptized as a believer, come and see me after the service. We, have, uh, we can walk you through that so you could be baptized on September 10th in obedience to the call and, and the command of Christ. After that, September 17th, we're jumping into the book of Jude. Uh, Jude's a great little book, one chapter. In it, it says, I found it necessary. Jude tells us he's the brother of James, half-brother of Jesus. He says that we are to contend for the faith. Verse 4, that was once for all delivered to the saints. So we're going to be contending. You can see the boxing gloves on the right-hand side. Ricky did a great job with that. So that's going, to, that's going to take us into our series in October called The Five Solas. So there'll be about five weeks in contending with the faith. And then we're going to look at the five solas. The solas in Latin means alone, and it is the cry of the Reformation, which we've been talking about all year, because on October 31st, it's 500 years since Martin Luther nailed his 35, uh, 95 theses, I just cut them down by 40, 50, the 95 theses on the Wittenberg Castle Door, 1517, at sparked the Reformation, and we got five solas that came out of the Reformation. If you're wondering what they are, let me just tell you what they are quickly. One is the sola scriptura, which means scripture alone is the final authority. The reformers rejected the divine authority of the Roman Catholic Church and Pope having ultimate authority. We believe the scriptures is the final authority, sola scriptura. Sola gratia means grace alone. Emphasize that grace is the reason for our salvation. Reformers believe that we believe that human beings are born spiritually dead. And it's by grace, by the unmerited favor of God who rescued us from his wrath and our penalty for sin. Sola gracia. Sola fide means faith alone. In the Reformation, they reclaimed the gospel rather than paying money and indulgences to have status with God, forgiveness with God. The, the, the Reformers cried out, sola fide is by faith alone, not by human effort, but by faith in Christ alone, which brings us to number four, which is solas Christus, meaning it's Christ alone. We believe as the Reformers did, as the, Paul the Apostle did, as Jesus taught, that Jesus is our high priest. He is the mediator between God and man. No one else mediates for us. But the atoning blood of Christ, our salvation, is the work and the person of Christ. He makes us right. And finally, soli dio gloria means that when all is said and done, for all the reasons that we have, It is for the glory of God alone that he rescued mankind to show forth his beauty and majesty and glory to the world. Sola Dio Gloria. If you're interested, I got it written right on my arm. You can look at it later. Anyway, once we're done there, 
we're going to be heading into the fall season. Uh, we're, we're, they're going to take us right us to the Advent, and uh, we'll, we'll celebrate uh, the birth of Christ. Okay? So that's where we're at. Jude, Solas, today, why? Why? Why do we have discipleship? What does is, what is monastic and missional in discipleship have anything to do with King's Chapel, and why do we do it? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew. It's the first gospel account. I'm going to read for you Matthew 28, and then in Acts chapter 2, we'll leave chapter 11 up for later. I'll get to that. So hear the word of the Lord. Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28. Familiar passage to many of you, I'm sure. Matthew chapter 28. Beginning of verse 18. Jesus came to them, his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Turn in your, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four gospel accounts. One gospel, Jesus, and then Acts is, is, the, is the history or the, the beginning of the church. Powered by the Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Let's begin at verse 38. Peter said to them, he preached the gospel. He told them about Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. And then he says, repent... And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for, because of, the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, the gospel, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, verse 46. And day by day, attending in the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generosity of hearts, Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. God had a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So, discipleship. Monastic and missional. Monastic and missional. Three simple headings, okay? We talk about discipleship. We talk about being missional, being in, in monastic gatherings, Let's look at it this way. Responding to Jesus, because that's how you become a disciple. We gather in community, and we scatter as missionaries. Simple. Responding to Jesus, gathering in community, and scattering as missionaries. First thing, responding to Jesus. You see, if you're going to talk about discipleship, if anybody's going to share with you or talk about discipleship according to the Scripture, we must first talk about responding to the call of Jesus to become a disciple. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, Jesus preaching. And the kingdom of God is at hand. He could say that. He's the king. Repent and believe the gospel. Then it says he passed along the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and Andrew, Andrew the brother of Simon, casting their nets. They were fishermen, and he tells them, follow me. I will make you, or I will make you become fishers of men. And throughout the gospel account, you'll find many places in Scripture where Jesus is calling people to himself to follow him. So let me be clear. The call of Christ is a divine call through a divine initiative. It was David Platt who wrote, Christianity does not begin with our pursuit of Christ, but with Christ's pursuit of us. Christianity does not start with an invitation we offer to Jesus, but with an invitation Jesus offers to us, end quote. In order to follow Jesus, listen, one needs to stop going in the direction they're headed. One needs to stop traveling, living life, being your own Lord and saviors, and turn and follow 
Jesus. I mean, it's not really complicated in a sense. It's what the Bible calls repentance. It means to turn and faith, trust, listening, following, and believing on Jesus. It's the call. There are a lot of places in Scripture we could turn to that talks about the call to follow and seeing people turn and follow Jesus. Paul writes to the Thessalonica uh, church that that is exactly what he tells them they did. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, For they themselves, Paul's saying that they, meaning the churches in Macedonia and Archaea, they themselves report to us, concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you. Word is out that when we came to, your, to that fellowship, we planted this church, you received this well. And then he says, and they know, they report how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Everyone knows you guys were headed in one direction. You're serving, worshiping false idols, false things, justifying yourself in, in false ways, and you've turned to the living God, waiting for Jesus who died as our sacrifice and took the wrath we deserve. And that's what it means. It means to hear the call to believe Jesus is God, the Lamb of God, takes away our sins, died in our place, rose from the dead, and that, and that call conjoins, unites a call to follow him. And that's why I said this in the first service. I think it's dangerous when we talk about, have you accepted Christ? I think I understand what people mean by that. But what it can mean also is I've accepted Christ. I've added him to my very busy life. I've accepted the fact. But that's not really the call, is it? It's not adding him to your life. He becomes your life. It becomes your life. So when we talk about discipleship, we must begin with the call of Jesus himself to himself for our salvation, for our reconciliation, for our forgiveness, and a lifelong call of obedience to follow him. His word and the power of his spirit, by the power of his spirit. He gave us his word. He empowers us the spirit so we can follow Jesus, hear his voice. So being a disciple of Jesus does not begin with what you do. Being a disciple of Jesus begins first what he has already done on the cross for you. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. He dies as an atoning sacrifice. He grants us forgiveness. He imputes his righteousness to us that we don't deserve. To be a Christian means to be a disciple. Let me say that again. To be a Christian means to be a disciple. There are no Christians that are not disciples. We're following Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And when you follow Christ, the scripture tells us that we have a new personhood. We have a new purpose. We have new perspectives. We have new priorities. When you, I, when you turn from your sin and you trust Christ, you now are adopted into the family. Your identity now is a child, a, a sister, excuse me, a, a, a daughter and a son of the king. Your purpose is no longer your own glory. Your perspective is not clinging to the things of this world. You're not trusting in these things. You're, you're putting your hope in God. Your priorities change from, from just going upon life and, you know, one with the most toys wins. It's God, the gospel, it's glory. It's, it's, it's showing forth his majesty to the world. Like, where are you getting all that from? Mark 8. Calling the crowd, Jesus, calling the crowd to himself with his disciples, he turns to the crowd and he says this. Now listen, you can see the personhood, the purpose, the perspective, the priorities right here in this verse. If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He must die to self and identify with me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, there's your priorities. What does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. What can a man give in return for his soul? It's about the gospel that saves. You see, purpose and, and priorities and perspectives and person changes when we follow Christ. We have communion with him. And we walk with him. Now, when you say the word disciple, let me be really clear. A disciple literally means a learner. It's someone who attaches himself to a teacher identifies himself with that teacher, learns from him, and lives with that person. 
A disciple learns not just simply by listening. A disciple of someone, a disciple of Jesus, not only listens but does what they do. It's not just simply a, a pupil, just transfer, uh, excuse me, information coming, but there's transforming, there's learning together and doing with the master. So we define discipleship as someone who is learning the gospel, someone who is appropriating the gospel. They're, they're learning the truths of the gospel, and, but then they're appropriating and they're, they're pressing the gospel deep in their hearts so they are transformed by the gospel, but then they communicate the gospel to others. Learning, appropriating, and communicating the gospel to others and, and is able to make disciples sharing the good news in word and deed about Jesus. We see that in Matthew 28. So the question really is, not are you a disciple? If you're a Christian, it's not whether you are a disciple or not. The question is, are you a good disciple? Are you a good disciple? And discipleship really, not really, discipleship ought to resound around the person and the work of Jesus Christ because you don't want to be my disciple. You don't want to be impatient like I am. You want to be patient like Jesus. You don't want to be a hard head like I am. You want to be soft and gentle like Jesus, right? So we're all looking to Jesus, the work of Jesus, right? So as disciples, we are first called into fellowship with God. And then as disciples, we are learning from each other. Older brothers, younger brothers, older women, younger women in the Lord. And we're learning and we're growing together, seeking to be mature in our discipleship, in our reflection of Jesus. It's disciples who make disciples who make disciples to make disciples. That's the New Testament pattern. Called into fellowship, hear the gospel call of Christ, become a Christian, be a disciple, and call others to the gospel. Right? That's, that's, we're responding to the call of Jesus. We're responding to the call of Jesus, responding to the gospel, and we're calling people to respond to the call of Jesus and the gospel. That's the way it works. Matthew 28. All authority given to me. Go therefore make disciples. All the nations, don't pick and choose. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and, I will, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded, to, commanded you. Think it like it this way. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. If we're followers of Christ... I've repented of my sins. I'm walking with Jesus. I have his word. I have his spirit. I see the New Testament picture of Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm listening to the voice of Jesus. I'm responding to Jesus. What is Jesus doing? My Bible tells me he's seeking saving the lost. He's loving people. We just finished John. He's loving people. He's having compassion on people. He is caring for people. He's revealing himself to people. That's what Jesus is doing then. That's what Jesus is doing now. So what should we be doing? What Jesus did. In fact, he gives us, uh, we see his footsteps in Scripture, but he gives us a command through the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. There's your new person. You belong, you're adopted into the family. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's us. That means the people of God. That is, in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Otherwise, you're in trouble. If that's the case, you're going to pay for it. And entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, the eternal God of creation, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God, gave you and me, the people of God, (laughs) this is hard to believe, the message of reconciliation. We can't reconcile someone to die for their sins, but we got the message of reconciliation. And I'm thinking, you really better have a plan B. Because, I, you know, but no, he doesn't. He doesn't. We are calling people through us. Jesus is calling people to come to himself. Let me explain it this way. Suppose you bought a giant warehouse that was empty, and you spent millions and millions of dollars, and you took this empty warehouse, and you converted it into a manufacturing company that makes sneakers, right? You buy the equipment, you buy all the necessary supplies, you hire people to work at this plant, including a production manager. And now the plant is up and running. Hundreds of workers hurrying to and fro, machines running at full blast, activity is at a maximum. And you're like, all right, you're set, and you leave. 
Six months, a year later, you come back and you grab that production manager and you say, all right, how many pairs of sneakers have we made so far? And he says, none. <laughs> none, but, but we're really busy, sir. We're very, very busy. Yeah, we're, we're, we're so stressed out, we all need vacation. Nobody took a vacation. How many sneakers have we made? None. You're fired, right? I mean, that's what you would say. You're done. Find another job. I think... It illustrates sometimes that we're, we're, we're busy people. I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. We have a lot of activities. But how much are we, how much are we spending time on discipleship, disciple making? How, how much are we taking this, this command of Matthew 28 to go and make disciples? Listen, when you make disciples, you're calling people to repentance and faith. It's called evangelism. It unavoidably takes time and money and effort. It involves helping people, loving people to become disciples of Christ. So I had to ask myself the question, if I evaluated my time, my money, my energy, how much of it is toward the command of Christ to make disciples? Don't raise your hands, but let, that, let the Lord speak to your heart about that. Maybe, maybe we have just have some incorrect priorities. Maybe, maybe we lost sight of what's most important. Maybe it's because we're selfish. Maybe it's a lack of training, a lack of trying. There's a lot of reasons that we're not following this. I'm not following this as I ought. I think one of the reasons, I'm going to throw this at you, you could talk about it in your community groups. Maybe one of the reasons we're not making disciples, evangelizing, demonstrating, declaring the gospel to people is maybe because we never truly experienced the joy of doing it. Maybe. Brian Marks, Brian Parks, uh, writes for Nine Marks Ministry. If you don't know it, look it up. It's great, Nine Marks Ministry, Mark Dever from from Washington. Um, And he gives this article about several reasons why evangelism, sharing your faith, demonstrating it in love, declaring it in truth, while evangelism is an essential part of true discipleship. In other words, if you're truly a disciple, Jesus has called us to make disciples. That's, that's what he's doing. It's part of true discipleship is evangelism. And, and the reasons and the benefits of it, I think, really spoke to my heart. So let me give them to you. The benefits of evangelism, sharing the gospel. Number one, evangelism helps the gospel to remain central in your life. Central in the church. It is, is the preaching of the gospel and the, and that forms the church when people respond. It is the preaching of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, that is the chief message of the, fir- of the church. Paul says the first of most important. It is the gospel that powers our growth in Christ, Philippians 1.6. Therefore, sharing the gospel truths, declaring the gospel to others, helps the gospel to remain centered in the church. It was Dr. Carson, New Testament scholar, said that one way we preserve the gospel is by working hard to pass it on to others. Evangelism helps us maintain the gospel message as the engine of growing life in Christ. Keeps it centered. Next, evangelism deepens our understanding of fundamental truth. Okay? Gospel conversations with people force us to deal with issues like the word of God. Do we know it? Issues like the character of God, the holiness of God, God's wrath. Man's creation in the Imago Dei, what does that imply? Sin, grace, the cross, judgment. We've got to search those things out and know the scriptures. And by searching them out, they become more real to us. We have to think through explaining these things to people. What happens is, and it happens to everybody, is knowing something and explaining something is very different. When you know something and then have to explain it, what you know becomes more solidified by explaining it, and you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ through sharing your faith with people. Go find out the answer. Know your Bible better. Number three, properly motivated sharing of your faith grows our love for God and love for people. All believers are called to love God with all their heart and to love others. Right? I mean, that's the, the two commandments that everything hangs on. Have you ever led someone? Have you ever seen the love of God, the joy of seeing someone's eyes open? The Spirit of God is working and God is using you to, to share himself with them and you see that happen? 
What a joy. You see, you, you just, you revel in the love of God. You see his forgiveness, his kindness, and his mercy just on display. It is such a joy. I've had the opportunity. I'm not great at it, don't get me wrong, but to see someone and then to recognize how sweet forgiveness is. And the other way is true too. Those you love, you're sharing your faith with them. You're talking and you're talking about Christ and they reject you. Our hearts are broken over that. And we remember, oh, if not for the grace of God, we love that person more and we implore, as Paul says, believe on Christ. I want to love them more and I marvel at God's saving mercy, grace that he's shown to me, undeserved. See, if love is the motive, you'll grow, you'll grow. So if you see like living on mission, evangelism, sharing your faith, uh, as something that is a burden, you miss the point. Evangelism in the New Testament, just read the book of Acts, just read the first 10, 12 chapters. What you see is people being empowered by the Spirit, and you see this explosion of gospelizing, people just going about their business, sharing their faith, telling others about Jesus all throughout the New Testament. Almost like an atomic bomb just exploded instead of, you know, radioactive just killing people. It is giving life to people. That's what you see in the New Testament. Jesus promised in Acts 1. He said after his resurrection and before his ascension, wait in Jerusalem, he told them. Wait, you'll receive power because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You'll be empowered to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Evangelism keeps the gospel centered. Evangelism helps to develop and to get deeper truths of Scripture and properly motivated will help you love God more and love others. Those are the three. Responding to Jesus, then what? Monastic gathering, gathering in community. Monastic comes from the word monastery. There's a great benefit of being alone. You know about monastery. They go for a place of prayer. They go for a place of uh, quietness, solitude, um, uh, growth, refreshing. That's awesome. But we don't want to stay there. But we do want to be there. So whenever I talk about community, I need to tell you something basic and foundational. If you read Genesis 1, you'll see that God created the heavens and the earth and the work of the triune God was present. In the beginning, God the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth, and God spoke, and things came into being. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, he spoke life, and life came to being. And we know the Word who became flesh dwelt among us. We know that in First John, excuse me, John chapter 1. In Genesis 1.26, God in his creativeness says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You see the Trinitarian God. One God and three persons speaking. And God creates man in the Imago Dei, our image. The whole point of that, God is showing us that his nature, one God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existing, but in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons, in community, pouring out glory on one another from eternity past into eternity future. And the scripture says that we are made in that image and likeness. Therefore, therefore, we are created to live in community because we reflect the Imago Dei of the Father, Son, and Spirit, one God in three persons. Now, let me be really clear. God is always, is and always will be totally satisfied in himself. He is complete in all his goodness and greatness. He is not, as that silly song tells us, that Jesus didn't want to be in heaven alone. I think that's how it goes. Didn't want heaven without us. So he brought heaven down. Not true. He is complete, perfect. He needs nothing from us. But because he's a creative God in love, he created us to bear his image for his glory, and therefore we need one another. Community, gathering together, is, is an intentional gathering where we are, now catch this, we are loving one another, we are humble with one another, we encourage one another, we correct one another, and we challenge one another toward the maturity in Christ. 
If you're afraid of community, it's probably because you're running from something. Maybe you've been hurt and you have wounds. Or maybe you just haven't really thought it through, whatever the reason may be. The more you're in community gathering together with the brothers and sisters of Christ, the more you reflect the image of Christ. The less you spend time together, gathering together with God's people, the less you will conform and reflect the image of Christ. That's the way God designed it. If you have an issue with that, take it up with him. Acts chapter 2. We see that in the early church. The gospel is being preached. They devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Fellowship, the breaking of bread. All came among everyone. Verse 43 of chapter 2. Many signs and wonders done through the apostles. They had things in common. They were sharing together, distributing needs. Day by day, they gathered in the temple. That was the big gathering. Breaking bread in homes, smaller gatherings. They received their food. They were glad. They praised God. And the Lord added people. He just to the numbers that day. You just read that in Acts chapter 2. Okay? That's about discipleship. Turn with me to Acts 11, though. Let me just read this narrative to you. Acts chapter 11, the church is birthed. People are getting saved. Thousands are coming to faith. Paul's already, Saul becomes Paul. He's, he's a church planter. Things are going on, especially in Antioch. We get to Acts chapter 11, and this is what we read. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, that goes back to chapter 7, 8, chapter 8 and 9, I think, believe it, 7, 8 and 9. Uh, he was persecuted. He said, so people traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. That was their evangelism. They went to the Jews first. But there some came, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. What you find in Acts is people had a platform and they preached, but then there's another Greek word, they were evangelizing, they were gospelizing, they were just sharing in, in, in their faith, in conversations. He said, report came back though, no, let me go back. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22. The report came to the church of Jerusalem. So they're like, oh, there's something going on in Antioch. Let's send Barnabas there. It says that when he came there, verse 23, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He was a man of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, a good man. Great many people believe, added to the Lord, added to the church, added to the body. And Barnabas then went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, which is Paul the Apostle, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church. People had come in the faith, teaching in the church. Many great people came to faith. Look what it says. It was in Antioch the disciples were first called Christ followers, Christians. Interesting. So what's going on here? You have Barnabas, whose name is Joseph. The apostles change it to Barnabas. It means encouragement. Here's a great guy who's an encourager. It says he exhorted them to remain faithful. The word exhort is parakaleo. Kaleo, it's a call. It's a strong world. Come out of darkness. A strong word, come out of darkness. Come, you know, it is, it is, it is, a, it is a, a, a strong word. And the other word para is an interesting word. It means to come alongside to encourage someone. So you have this, this word that says, Come out. It's, it's, it's a command. Come out of darkness. Then you got this other word going, I want to have compassion with you. I want to love you. I want to care for you. I want to come alongside you. It's a very interesting word. And, and what it shows us that there's a blend of, of grace and truth. There's, there's a sense where you need to be told truth, and there's a sense where you need to have grace and compassion. What did Jesus come? Full of grace and truth. Discipleship is a lot like that. Discipleship in the church we have people like Barnabas come alongside us that we give permission to. We say, you know what? I need you to speak grace and truth into my life. Not just truth, because then you're just going to beat me up. I'm not really going to see love. But not just grace either, because you know what? I have some sin, and I need to be called out on it. So I need you to come alongside me. I give you license as we talk together, share together, to come into my life and speak grace and truth into my life. Hebrews 3.13 tells us why. He's talking about the gathering of the church. He says, exhort one another, that's our word, every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's like, oh no, I, I will never get hard by sin. Yeah, you just proved the, the scripture. We need to give people permission. Can it be abused? Yeah, it can. 
You have to be careful. You have to let people in. There's, there's that possibility. There's some doctors, lawyers, that abusive. We call lawyers and doctors all the time. We need them. So, are you in community? And notice what Barnabas, I love this, he says, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purposes. Remain, Barnabas didn't say, remain steadfast to me and my purposes. Like, discipleship is not about the one you're walking with looking like you. You don't want to be impatient like me, and you don't want to have a hard head like me. You want to be soft and gentle like Jesus, believe me. Okay, so that's what it's about. Look what it says. Be, remain faithful to the Lord, his purposes. So you have this person who comes alongside grace and truth, and then Barnabas is like, you know what, I need some help. In fact, I, I'll be right back. I'm going to Tarsus. I've got to find a guy. His name is Saul. He's been converted. His name is Paul, and he's the best Bible teacher on the planet right now, and I'm going to bring him to Antioch. And in verse 23, 5, 25, Barnabas goes to Saul, uh, Tarsus, looks for Saul, finds him and says, look, I need your help. Come on, Bible teacher, come with me. And then it says for a whole year, can you imagine? I'd love to be at that church for a year. The church met, taught by Paul, many people, and in Antioch, the disciples first called Christians, Christ followers. This godly teacher, Apostle Paul, proclaiming the gospel, Old Testament scriptures, Jesus at the center, you have Barnabas encouraging, loving, and calling out, and you see the disciples growing in their walk with Christ. Here at King Shab, we talked about this last week, yeah, the ministry of the word. We talked about the preaching of the word. What we do here is what's called air war, ground war. I didn't make it up. I bought, I bought it. Excuse me, I stole it from somebody. I didn't buy anything. I stole it from, I think it was Mark Driscoll out in Seattle. So air war, what we call our air war, is the preaching of the word of God. We have pastors, trained men, teaching, doctrine, expository, uh, expository preaching of the word, and we are preaching air war. And then we have a thing called ground war, where we gather in communities. So we gather and we scatter. We gather in communities um, together and we are opening the scriptures. We are taking what's being taught and we're putting flesh on the Bible. And we're saying, hey, what's going on in your life? What's going on in my life? Are you involved in a community group like that? We have groups. We have groups that are open. We'll start new groups. We believe in the air war, ground war. We come together. We gather together to hear the Bible being teached. And then we gather together and we talk about it. And we share life together. And we, we walk through the scriptures together. Air war, ground war. Discipleship happens Sunday morning, the preaching of the word. Discipleship happens in community groups, the two main ways we do discipleship here. But discipleship also happens on Monday nights. We have teaching here on Monday nights throughout the year. Women get together, men get together, and then sometimes we have joint classes together Monday nights. Discipleship happens when brothers and sisters gather over a cup of coffee, go fishing together and hang out together, guys with guys, girls with girls. It's happening whenever you gather together in love to encourage, correct, and challenge one another to grow in Christ. Piper gives many other ways discipleship happens. He says, he points out scripture, Titus 2.4, older women are to train younger women. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul trained Timothy to train others. He says, my child, be strong, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And, Paul says to Timothy, young Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Disciples making disciples making disciples. Ephesians 6.4, fathers are to disciple their children. Hebrews 3.13, we are to exhort each other day by day, stirring one another up for love and good works. 1 Peter 4, we have gifts to serve one another. Paul writes in Colossians that he preached and warns everyone with all wisdom to present you what? Mature in Christ, he says. For this I toil. Paul toiled day and night, struggling with all his energy, God's energy, that he, God, powerfully works within me. So we see this over and over in Scripture. We just finished the gospel according to John. What did we see? Jesus calling his disciples, Jesus calling people to himself, Jesus loving people, walking with people, living life with people. And we see this with the 12. We see this with the closer of the three. And some of you hear this about discipleship, and I want to address this, that like, this, is, this is just the pastor forcing me into something I really don't want to do. 
It's like forced coercion. Oh, now I got to do this. I got to add this to my plate. I would rather you see this as joyful anticipating, anticipation of what God is doing. That God reveals himself. You see more of him, more of his glory. You get to know him greater. His love, his grace, his mercy greater when we gather together as God's people. I mentioned this before. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And then he talks about this relationship with these men that he had. One of them was named Charles and Ron. And he says, Charles died. And I had more time with Ron, but I really didn't have as much of Ron, even though I had more time with him, than I did when Charles was alive. Why? He said, Charles had a way with his jokes and everything out to bring something out in Ron that I couldn't do. And when we were all together, even though I have more time now with Ron since Charles is dead, this, I don't have the fullness of Ron anymore because Charles is no longer there. And he adds, in this friendship, this, this idea he's talking about, uh, seeing Ron's face light up with Charles' jokes, He says, it exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed increases the fruition which each has of God. We grow, we have our understanding of God. Then he writes this, for every soul in heaven, seeing him, God, in his or her own way, communicates that unique vision to everyone else or to the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's visions, Isaiah 6, why the seraphim in Isaiah's visions are crying out, holy, 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 to one another. C.S. Lewis saying one person can possibly know someone that a group can, and a community can know. Family, the same is true with God. If you're not in community, what you see and you, you know and what God is doing in your life and the way in which you are bringing that into the community, I'm missing out. I need you to see God more fully. You need me to see God more fully. If you think you could understand God simply on your own, you're kidding yourself. You know, our pluralistic culture, our individualistic culture, thinks, you know what, I can have a flourishing relation with God all by myself. I can know God, I can know God in depth, and I don't need church, I don't need community That's not true. It's not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches us. It is a view of God that you've made up yourself. God reveals himself in greater measure than just you know. That's not really hard. I mean, think about that. That's pretty, pretty, you know, you would agree. I think we'd all agree. All right, let's end with this. Scattering as missionaries. If we as a church are just into discipleship, we're just training each other, and we're not looking out, what would come is, is an isolationist group, and we want nobody in. If, if we don't disciple each other, though, and all we want to do is bring new people in, we are missing the gospel. We've got nothing to anyone to call to repentance to. So as a lead pastor, that's a struggle for me. I want to go deep into knowledge in Christ, but I also want to go wide, because I want to see as many people come to faith, have their sins forgiven, and become part of the body. So usually we try to go deep and and. and and pray that God sends us out on mission. Again, Matthew 28. What is the mission? Go and make disciples. And I'll tell you, the word go, well, let me tell you two things. First of all, the word go is not the command, it's a participle. The command is to make disciples. As you are going, as you are living life, while you are going, make disciples. This is a command to the church. And when I say that, God did not speak to this building and tell the building to do it. You're the church. I'm the church. People are the church, right? So this is, the, this is, as you are going, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Some people use this verse as, as a verse that teaches overseas mission, that God wants you to go to, you know, the Ukraine or, or, or to Pakistan. That may be true. Maybe God is calling you overseas. But this verse has to do with where you are at the moment. If you're living here, be a missionary. If you're living in, or God has called you to Pakistan, be a missionary. Whether you're in Glenmont, whether you're in Uganda, God has called all Christians, just like you're a disciple, you're a missionary. If you didn't know that, and you're a follower of Christ, now you know. Now you know. A missionary is someone who's been called into to the gospel and sent out. We are looking for ways to engage people, to engage the culture, with the unchanging gospel, and look to incarnate it in the culture for the cause of Christ. 
People who serve the Lord in other nations, in other tribes, in other places, the first thing they learn is the culture so they can build bridges to share the gospel with them. Sometimes we are so caught up in our own culture and our own way of thinking that we are clueless on what's going on around us in our culture and we do not look for ways to engage people in their culture. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Like a fish swimming in water. You don't really see that. But we, all believers, are missionaries. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, so I'm sending you into the world. It's God's commission. You know the word missionary comes from the word sent in Latin, missio? There's a lot of... We've done so many sermons on the missio day, the mission of God. It's on our website. Uh, We could send that stuff to you. But we strongly believe here at King's Chapel that the scripture teaches us that every single believer is a follower and disciple of Christ called to disciple, to make disciples, to make disciples, and to live as missionaries wherever you are. That's why we talk about global partners. We're partners together in this world Because you are called to Christ to be sent out as ambassadors for Christ. It is that clear. It is that simple. Many, many. Now, here is our mission statement, actually. This is why we have it. We exist to glorify God, to make known of his worth and value and majesty through salvation that he has provided by living on mission. That's the mission of the church. Demonstrating, declaring the gospel, making Christ known. We exist to glorify God by living on mission with him and making disciples. First to call to Christ, walking together, and then calling other people to Christ. Through gospel-centered worship, praise and worship, transformation of the gospel, and community as we gather together. So there's a gathering and there's a scattering of God's people, okay? So I don't want to believe it. Let me give you three quick things that you can think about. Trying to be missional, trying to live on mission. A couple things. Number one, be biblical. Know your Bible. Understand your biblical worldview. Understand that we are not chasing after things in this world. Understand that we belong to God and other things that we believe to be true and Jesus has taught us and shown us, show to us God, his word is the ultimate reality and we have to have a biblical worldview. But we need to recognize that not everybody has that worldview. And that we need to, as God's people, listen and love people. Listen to their worldviews. Listen to their hopes and dreams. Listen to their fears and strongholds. Understand where they're coming from by loving them. You know that idolatry is an empty pursuit. You know that people are chasing after things. You were once doing that. Listen to them. Love them. Hear them. Care about them. How else will they know that you love them? Tim Keller talks about preaching in a postmodern culture in New York City. And he's like, I could tell people that sleeping with their boyfriend and girlfriends, uh, sex outside of marriage is sin. And that's true. But he says, I, I, instead I tell them that their romance is a way of, of idolatry. That their romance is a way to justify themselves. This relationship is something greater than God himself. And that idolatry leads to anxiety, obsessiveness, envy, resentment. And he said, I, I find that postmodern people understand that more. It's called the first commandment. Sometimes I think, and we're going to give me two more minutes. Sometimes I think, and maybe it's just me, maybe you can relate. Sometimes we see people living in such a way, we're kind of like, ah, I don't want to talk to that person. I, kind of disgust me, their whole worldview, their whole understanding, they're so far out there, I, I, I don't want to do that. If you ever think that way, first thing you need to think is, what a jerk am I? That's what you need to think. <laughs> what a hypocrite am I? That's what you need to think, because there goes I, if not for the grace of God. There's no tribe, no nation, no tongue, no worldview that God can't break through with the power of the gospel. Love them. Figure it out. Remember the gospel, love them. Be biblical, listen to their worldview. Number two, be practical. How can we engage? How can we share spiritual truth? How can we press people about their idols? How can we show them their false beliefs? How can we love them practically to show them the love of the gospel? How can we affirm biblical principles without turning people off? Think, pray. Kelly gives us a few things again. He says, let people know you're a Christian. 
in the workplace, around, you know, let them know you're a Christian. Ask people about their faith and listen to them. Find out what their problems are and pray for them. Share problems that you have with them. Show them that you're human too and how God answers your prayers and gives you what you need. Share your problems. Help them. Give them a book. Share your story. There's many ways we could do this. Answer objections and questions. Invite them to a church event. We're doing September 17th. There's many ways that we can be practical. Evangelism is necessary to vent. This is taking place at 305. I'm going to share. You know, it's a process in many ways. So be biblical, be practical, be intentional. We'll end here. Let me read a passage of scripture. The band can come up. Be biblical, be practical, be intentional. Family, if there's anything I want you to walk away with, if we're not intentional, if we're not listening to God, hearing the voice of Jesus, walking with him, and sharing life with them, and pointing them to Jesus Christ, we're not intentional about it, it's not going to happen. Be intentional. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. I love this passage. Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer. First thing you need to do is pray. Be intentional and pray. How? Being watchful in thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Open up the door, Lord. I want to preach your word. To declare Christ, the mystery of Christ, on which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Lord, show me who I need to talk to. Show me, give me vision. Give me opportunity for the words. Help me to make it clear. Help me to learn. Help me to love them. Help me to point them. Help me to be intentional of the people around me who need to hear the gospel. And remember, family, this ain't a mandate. Go and do it. The motive is the gospel. The missionary loving heart of God who pursued you even when you were rebellious. Is the missionary heart of God that's seeking and saving the lost. Let's love the unlovable because God loved you, the unlovable. Let's pursue others because God first pursued you. Let's share the gospel with others because that is how we come to know Christ. Romans 10 tells us how sweet, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's beautiful. It's joyful. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity. Father, we're, we're asking that you would pour out your spirit on us. Father, that you would empower us in love and joy to, to share our faith, to love people, to care for people, and, and to open our mouths, to look for opportunities to tell them how great and glorious and good you are because of what you have done in Christ. Let us respond in faith. Let us be a church who are known by our love and good deeds and by the clarity of the gospel, that you would get glory in it and your people will get joy.